Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City, Missouri. Can you smell what Tapped In is cooking? Oh, baby, the electricity is flowing today on this really kind of cold, crappy April Friday. But hey, we are here and excited to bring you this tenth. You know what Billy Bob says in Friday Night Lights? I'm sorry, not Friday Night Lights, in Varsity Blues. What is it? It's a tan! Mother effing tan! Tenth edition of Tapped In. And I am so happy to bring it to you today on this Friday, April 23rd. Let's get rolling. Kick right into it. We are here live in the KCPN studio at Taps on Main. Let's talk some Royals, folks. They didn't play yesterday, but hot damn did they do some stuff on Wednesday night. Royals come out. I was very disappointed on Wednesday. We came out flat against the Tampa Bay Rays. F those guys. I made that made my feelings very clear on how I felt about the Tampa Bay Rays. But the Royals handled some business. Unfortunately, it was rough sledding for quite a while. Jake Junis did not have the good start. He did not continue the trend that he had been on thus far in the season in which he had been some absolutely nails in some of his starts. It was a little bit of a rough start for him. He went five innings pitched, but he gave up five earned runs, three walks, six hits, six hits, only had the three strikeouts, four run first. His ERA jumped up to 371 on the season. He was able to settle down, didn't get pulled early, and was able to finish out five innings, so he didn't tax the bullpen too hard. But still, not it was not a not a good sign. He'll probably still earn another start, just because he's he maybe that was an aberration. So we will see. And the bullpen struggled from there as well. You had Josh Damon, Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, each allow an earned run. And so things looked kind of – normally if I said that the pitching had struggled this much, I would, I'd be down. I'd be talking about a Royals loss or something. But not these folks, Kansas City. Not this Royals team. This Royals team showed a lot of heart. This team, Royals team showed a lot of the grit that we remember in the not-too-far-away past – of 2014 and 15, this this comeback was very reminiscent of what they did. So you did have a few home runs. Hunter Dozier had a two-run home run. Jorge Soler had a home run. Carlos Santana had a home run. But going into the bottom of the seventh, the Royals were down three to six, and Hanzo or excuse me, Hanser Alberto tripled and scored, and he scored Benintendi on Taylor on the triple, and then Santana hit a two-run home run in that inning to score Alberto and to give the Royals a seven to six lead. Unfortunately, then the bullpen blew that lead, and the Royals went into the ninth inning down 7-8. to eight. So you get started off. Now, Michael Taylor single to get on to lead off the ninth inning, the bottom of the ninth. Tell me if this sounds familiar, Kansas City. Gerard Dyson pinch runs, steals second, and gets uh, and, and then a sacrifice play by, uh, uh, I believe, Nicky Lopez. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Lopez, but a sacrifice hit. I'm sorry, I don't have the, the player who did it, but he got sacrifice play to knock him over to third. That's I, how many times did we see that happen in 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 with Gerard Dyson on the team? And then uh, he scored the winning or he scored the tying run on Nicky Lopez. He had a safety squeeze on the bunt, and Lopez was able to get him in there. Lopez was safe at first. 
Carlos Santana gets intentionally walked. And here again, sell me if you've heard this before, Kansas City. And oh my God, I love talking about this. Salvador Perez. I can't stop talking about him. I'm very loud right now. I just had some spittle come out. I'm excited. Salvi lined a 2-1 pitch right up the third baseline to score Lopez. And the Royals win in the bottom of the ninth, 9-8. Salvador Perez, you saint, you prince of a man, you. And it was so reminiscent, and especially after how he came out of the box of the 2014 wildcard game, which was also a 9-8 victory over the Oakland Athletics in which Salvador lined one right down the third base line to score the runner and win the ball game, and then comes out of the box, just hands up, knowing exactly what he had just done because he's Salvador Perez, folks, and the guy is... Awesome. He is a can he's becoming a Kansas City legend if he wasn't already. And of course, I talked up, you know, yeah, he wore the Tom Brady jersey the other day, but he's a man of honor. And he said where his, he clearly made apparent where his true loyalties lie when he said Patrick Mahomes is the best. And he showed why he's one of the best on Wednesday night. So that was a thrilling moment for Royals fans that made 54 straight wins for the Royals, in which they had in which they were leading after the seventh inning. That is the longest active streak in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, it was, again, very reminiscent of 2014. And Salvi continues to be scorching hot. Yeah, he's down to 279, but still, I mean, the guy's just playing insanely clutch baseball right now over the last couple of weeks. And I loved what Mike Matheny came out and said afterwards. And this is where it draws me very much into the 2014-2015 Royals. And he said it's part of the DNA of this club that when something happens, that they believe something else is going to happen that goes their way, that will happen in our direction. And that's something where it's just it is ingrained in this team, and it will be that way as long as you have a one Salvador Perez behind the plate, in the lineup, in the clubhouse, wherever, as long as number 13 is out there with the Royals, the Royals are going to have a chance because that that he's got the heart of a lion and it's right there. And that's that's not going away anytime soon. And so yeah, Royals huge win. They're 10 and 7 now. Went 6 and 4 on the homestand. Tonight they start a three game set on a nine game road series. Excuse me. <clears throat> nine game road stand. Tonight start the three game set in Detroit. I'll be nice because you know Ty and I are trying to be nice right now. He's the big Detroit fan. But they are 7-12, and 12 and I hope we go in there and just, you know, just kick the pants off of them. Just just, just knock them around silly. Uh, you got Mike Miner on the dish to, uh, at the on the uh, bump tonight going against top prospect and former first overall pick from the 2018 draft, Casey Mize, for Detroit. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Saturday you've got our own Brady Singer going against Matthew Boyd. Sunday the series finishes out with Danny Duffy, the scorching hot Danny Duffy going against Michael Fulmer. So got some Royals action. We'll see if we can continue to maintain a spot among the top of the American League. I mean, they're 10-7 and 7 again, like I mentioned, right now. And this is a prime opportunity to go and win another series. Just Tampa Bay series was the first series that the Royals have lost all season. So let's go into Detroit and handle some business, boys. So stay royal. Let's do this. Together royal, everybody. Got to love that. So that's uh, we're going to flip things a little bit here and talk about something that just happened this week in sports. And it just goes to show that sometimes the greedy can just be a little bit too greedy and then they fall flat on their face and the rest of us laugh at them. 
And so you had 12 teams in uh, the uh, 12 European soccer teams that decided that they wanted to, they were tired of their current situation. And uh, they thought as the, the, who became the chairman, uh, who was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Florentino Perez, who is the president of the of Real Madrid uh, soccer club. And he was made the chairman of this European, of the super league, as they were calling it. And so, one of his problems that he said is that the Champions League, in which they were currently a part of, was obsolete and problematic. And so they sought to create this Super League. And they got other teams to agree to this. And you had six teams from England, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, and Tottenham Hotspur. You had three teams from Spain, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. And you had three teams from Italy. AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus. And they announced this on, uh, I believe, Tuesday was when they announced that this was happening. And then people lost it. It's two shows in a row. I would just throw my pen away, but hey, I can't despair. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, people lost it. You had players, you had fans, you had politicians, you had FIFA, you had the UEFA, you had everybody coming after these 12 teams for forming the Super League. Because essentially, they were looked at, it's looked at as elitism. They just wanted to say, hey, we're better than the rest of you, so we're going to form this league together. Everybody's going to have to pay attention to us, more money for us, screw the rest of you. And that's kind of how it was looked upon. And again, it was a massive uproar, huge fervor that came their way because of this. And immediately, immediately, some of the teams backtracked. The six English teams pulled out like that. And you had apologies coming. And you had just, it was just an absolute disaster for these 12 teams. People lost their jobs. I mean, it was... It was just nuts and hilarious, again, in my opinion. And so, and some of the people who were involved in this, you were supposed to have, uh, they were going to have vice chairman and uh, Juventus president, uh, Andrea Agnelli, and Man U, person, uh, Man U president, Joel Glazer, and then John W. Henry, who sounds familiar because he's one of the, one of the co-owners of the Boston Red Sox, was with Liverpool, and he was the one the most apologetic of all. And then one that's not so surprising, it doesn't surprise me at all in this regard, is uh, who was one of the vice chairmen and is Arsenal owner, and that's Stan Kroenke. As in the Stan Kroenke, who is the owner of the Los Angeles Rams, as in the native Missourian who moved the St. Louis Rams out of St. Louis, screwed over the people of St. Louis. Yes, I have made my feelings on St. Louis very apparent on this show. Having said that, uh, that, was, that, that was a load of crap. And he just wanted to go to get the glitz and glamour of Los Angeles. And when I say glitz and glamour, I mean he wanted that L.A. money. And it's apparent now that that wasn't enough by him putting his team as one of the 12 to try and create this European Super League. But again, it fell, it, it fell flat. And they fell flat on their faces. They're out on their asses. They look like idiots. FIFA came in and is like, oh, if that's what you want to do, well, guess what? We're going to kick you immediately out of this tournament. Oh, your players who wanted to be in the World Cup? Oh, guess what? They're not going to be allowed to play in the World Cup. Like, just bam, man. Just the, just the vice grip that all these – that that, got, that came on them from all these directions across the professional soccer world. 
And that's, again, that's what, that's what you get sometimes when you try to be too greedy, when you already have it good, but you decide it's not good enough and you just become greedy to screw everybody else. Well, sometimes it just comes back and bites you in the ass and you have nobody to blame, but yourself and the others that partook with you. So 10 out of the 12 are officially out of that. And Barcelona still is trying to make that, make this happen. But having said that, it wasn't. It was officially announced three days after their announcement that the league has suspended operations. So, Tudelu, uh, MFers, we're probably not going to see the European Super League anytime soon. So darn shucks. Hate to see him not make it. Uh, but I will admit, it does. It is something that makes me wonder if there's been a lot of talk of if the Power Five teams in college football should break or college sports should break away from the NCAA to form their own thing. Maybe this is a lesson to be learned. I'm not saying I don't, I'm not supporting the NCAA by any means. I've made that, again, I've made that quite clear on both here on Tapped In and then also on the Tailgate podcast with Aaron and Ty. And it's, we're not a fan of the NCAA, but I really hope that some of these Power Five teams are paying attention to what happened here and are saying, if, we're, if we one day want to break away from the NCAA, this, this was not the right way to go about it. And so ultimately, I it's the reality is is it's all about the almighty dollar, and they want to be, they want to get more. But if they do break away from the NCAA, there's a lot to be learned from what uh, the European soccer teams just went through. So, <laughs> awesome, great, just just hilarious stuff. Yeah, I mean, you again, you just hate to see it happen. So I'm gonna finish out. This edition of Tapped In, uh, we obviously have been covering the draft a lot. Uh, we've got the KCPN tailgate versus Spoken and Midwest Mike's draft game on next Thursday, covering the entire first round live here at the KCPN studio. Uh, we've all chosen charities and we have GoFundMes. We have uh, di different ways that we are trying to raise funds to support those charities. The winners, the winners, the winning team, their charity gets the bigger port, the bigger percentage. 75 to 25%. And, but again, it's a great cause. And it's going to be a lot of fun watching this draft game, watching our shenanigans, our chicanery. It's going to be a blast. <clears throat> but it's draft time. We're less than a week away. And there's just something that just doesn't feel right uh, here in KC with draft time going on right now. And it's because there's a certain person that has said that this time of year is called, he, he deemed it football nerd Christmas. And that is the late, great Therese Paler. And I think he passed away a couple months ago. It was right after the Super Bowl. Tragically passed away at age 37 on February 9th. Again, just a couple days after the Super Bowl. And he'd covered Kansas City for a number of years. He had been uh, with at the Kansas City Star for 12 years. Most recently, he's been with Yahoo Sports. He's spent five years as the KC star beat writer for the chiefs, primarily covering the chiefs did a wonderful job. I always look forward to reading his articles because he did it. He did it with, with, a, he always had a strong moral code. He did it with passion and he just, he was, he, he was loyal. He was caring. I can't tell how many people we've read like these wonderful tributes to him. 
the outpouring of love has been absolutely tremendous from him. And this just, it was unfortunate. The timing, it's obviously it's unfortunate period, but the timing being right after the Chiefs lose the Super Bowl. And also that was when it was just a lot was going on in Kansas City that week. And it was something that I think it didn't get the attention it deserved and he didn't get the respect and the memorialization that he deserved because he was a tremendous presence in Kansas City covering the Chiefs for as long as he did. And even with Yahoo, he still was all over the Chiefs. He absolutely loved the fact that he got to. And I don't know him personally. I I should have said that from the beginning. But things that I've read and testimonies, testimonials from people who did know him closely have talked about how much he loved getting to watch the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. And again, the outpouring of love and support just from the positive words of people after he did pass away, such as his longtime fiance and girlfriend, Ebony Reed, uh, colleagues at Yahoo Sports, uh, people literally like the Buffalo Bills, his native Detroit Lions and the Chiefs, of course, all uh, made statements uh, about his passing. And you think about some of the national, you think about some other just big names, Dan Wetzel, Chiefs right tackle, former to right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, Mayor Quentin Lucas, Jeff Passan, Peter King, Louis Riddick, just uh, Jeff Rosen, a number of people in the sports media scene that all were affected by this and felt the need to come out and say something, uh, just wonderful, kind words about Therese. And it's just, it's, it really sucks because this is, this was his, one of his favorite times of year. He was very, he was on record of saying how much he loved this time going into the NFL draft. And again, it's football nerd Christmas. And if you've seen anything on the tailgate podcast with Ty, Aaron, and myself, we have made that very apparent uh, that we are football nerds and this is our Christmas. Uh, But one thing that he did that was always cool with uh, that he'd done for a long time and he's had his all juice team. And he said the all juice team was basically football college players who embodied the soul of football and people and kids who were coming into the, not just college football players, but kids who were, who were uh, entering, entering the draft that year. And he covered, he just, it wasn't just the major names that he covered. Like he would go talk about these kids from, from historically black colleges and universities. Like he, he tried to cover kids that were not getting a lot of the press or not being shoved up front on ESPN at the top of draft boards and things like that, but kids who deserve that right. And so three of his former colleagues at Yahoo Sports, uh, Eric Edholm, Charles Robinson, and Pete Thamel, in his memory, decided this year to the three of them to work together to come up with an all-juice team in the best way that they thought Therese Paler would have done so. And so I'm just going to run down that team real quick. Uh, and, of course, there is there is always going to be some big names in there. But, you know, for example, Justin Fields is the quarterback. Understandably so, out of Ohio State. Uh, he's It's funny has how he's been slipping down draft boards after going into this last year. He would have been right behind Trevor Lawrence as the number two quarterback taken. And now the, there's anywhere from third to fifth, anywhere from being the third pick, all the way down to falling into the 20s. I've seen some mock drafts. And the fact is, is people are coming after him saying that he had a bad season. And ultimately, he did not have a bad season. I mean, he still, we saw what he's capable of against uh, against Clemson in the national semifinal. And that was when he was messing, he was bum ribs after the shot he took. And he's still out there balling out. So 
He's a, he's a special kid. He's worthy of being on the all-juice team. Alabama running back, Najee Harris, Florida tight end, Kyle Pitts, Purdue wide receiver, Rondale Moore, who is somebody that we've talked about on the tailgate and I am very partial to. He reminds me very much, I will say that there's never a receiver that truly does compare to Tyreek Hill, but the closest that I've seen is Rondale Moore in his ability to both be fast, have great acceleration, be able to maneuver himself on the field, change routes in, or change direction in the middle of a route. And he's a special receiver coming out of Purdue. I love his moxie when he had a one of the one of the recruiters asking him how how big are you actually and he responded with saying well how big is fast and he is fast folks and he's a special receiver on there Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman UCF Central Florida receiver Trey uh, Trey Nixon and you've got some real strong linemen on there Stone Forsyth out of Florida Larnell Coleman out of UMass. He's one of those small school guys who he's not getting a lot of, of press here. He's probably going to be a late round day three guy. But his coach at UMass, Walt Bell, has come out and said he is nowhere near his potential and his best football is well ahead of him. And that he's 6'6", 315, and somebody is going to be able to mold this guy into something real special and somebody's going to get a steal. Uh, Larnell Coleman, Quinn Miners, the Wisconsin, the guard out of Wisconsin Whitewater, who we've talked about at length on the tailgate podcast and just a real tough kid. And uh, David Moore out of an HBCU, Grambling State, another guard, Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama, who it shows how much his teammates loved him because in when he was injured and didn't get to play in the national title game when they were up big late, he suited up. And they helped him out there and let him take one snap. So in his final game, he got to take one snap in a national title and go out as a champion. That shows how much his teammates cared about him. And that's that's why somebody gets to be on the all-juice team. Defense, edge rushers, Texas, Joseph Osai, Pitt, Rashad Weaver. Uh, defensive tackle, Marlon Tuapuotu out of USC. Just big, nasty down there uh linebackers Zaven Collins out of out of uh, Tulsa Buddy Johnson out of Texas A&M Garrett Wallow out of TCU and then the cornerbacks and I love this Greg Newsom out of Northwestern and he's he's a cocky dude he literally tells every receiver at the start of the game I'm gonna be on your hip all game and you gotta love that kind of moxie coming from somebody uh, Elijah Molden out of Washington and then JC Horn who's another corner we've talked about at length on the podcast and I love what I found out about him is he is a cornerback. He is the son of NFL great Joe Horn, who was a wide receiver. His younger and older brothers are wide receivers. Why did he switch to cornerback? Because he just wants to shut receivers down, man. Like that's why his old man and his brothers are receivers. He wants to shut them down. Love that kind of mentality. That's some all juice right there. And then they finished off with a couple of safeties, Divine Diablo out of Virginia Tech and Tyree Gillespie out of Mizzou. And so these were guys who they deemed, they thought in the spirit of what Therese Paler would have said was were deserving of being all juice players entering this 2021 NFL draft, which again, first round next Thursday. But that's what I really just wanted to finish this off is, is something is we didn't ever really get a chance before it was before tapped in and started, but Therese Paver was a tremendous personality in Kansas City and a tremendous sports presence. And again, his coverage of the Chiefs was tremendous. And he is somebody who is 37. That's scary. I mean, I'm 35, and it's crazy to think that these things happen. You know, sometimes when, when your number is called, your number is called. And you just have to hope that the impact you've left on Earth is 
strong enough. And it's clear with Therese Paler that people with how many people are remembering him and that I feel honored to get to do this segment and talk about him. And, and I love that I got to do that. I'm talking about this all juice, uh, the effect he had here. And so I love what he tried to do. And that's, that's a spirit that I hope that we will try to capture on tapped in and on the tailgate podcast and just all of us here at KCPN. And so I want to thank you for tuning in today on this Friday, 423, the 10th, 10th edition of tapped in. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Go watch some Royals, and I will see you all on Monday.